0: Romans tonight, chapter number 8. We're going to look at More Than Conquerors, part 2, just because we had too much to say about this last week. So Romans chapter 8, and once again, we'll move around a little bit in the chapter. Not so bad that it won't be easy enough for you to follow, but I want to begin reading with verse number 1, and then we'll skip to a later place in the chapter. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And Romans 8, 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Let's jump now to verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest, uh, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature or creation, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is not seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren." Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's end our reading there. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness and blessing to us this day, for health and strength the ability to be here tonight for all of God's children who have gathered. And Lord, we're mindful of those that can't be with us tonight. Some have physical infirmities, some have other obligations, but Lord, whatever the situation is, some may be traveling in a way, we just pray that you'll restore them to us, especially, Lord, where uh, there are people that would just love to be here tonight if they only felt like they could if their physical uh, situations permitted it. I pray, Lord, that you would just give encouragement to each of those Help them to know that they're remembered, they're not forgotten. Help them to sense that they're being prayed for uh, through the days and help us to be faithful about that. And we thank you now for the word of God. We thank you for preserving it, for giving us each the opportunity to have it so freely available to us, not only one copy, but multiple copies, as many as we want. Uh, We thank you for it and just pray that you'll help us to take this privilege uh, for for what it is, to honor and esteem it. And to uh, spend time with your word each day so that we may know you better, so that we may love you more. And we just pray now, Father, as we spend some time with your word tonight, that you'll cleanse us anew and afresh, and give us a, a fresh hunger and passion and insight to hear from the word and to hear from you more than anything else. I pray you'll guide in my speech tonight, Lord, so that I will say those things that will be helpful, practical, uh, and not only to increase our, our knowledge of God's word but to have those things to say tonight that will minister to each heart. May each one here tonight have some sense of your working and moving in his or her life, we pray now in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, I mentioned to you that we're looking at this Romans eight thirty seven. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And thinking about that, you know, that is a really unique verse in the New Testament. No other verse really tells us that. In fact, the idea that we're described not just as overcomers, which that is relatively common to find that, especially in the writings of John and other places. It talks about the victory. Paul talks about the victory in his writings, but John in particular talks about us being overcomers or overcoming the world. But to have this word that describes us as being more than overcomers, as I said to you last week, hyper It's above and beyond just someone who's winning, someone who's more than winning. And we pondered that just a little bit because what does that mean and why would you say that? Isn't it enough to be an overcomer? Isn't it enough to be on the winning team? But the Bible goes beyond and makes another statement. It says, no, it's more than that because you'll notice this phrase, and this is at least a key thought, I think. I don't know that we we have everything here, but because he says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors more than overcomers, through him that loved us. And you notice that he doesn't say we're more than conquerors apart from these things. So in other words, the idea that, well, if we didn't have some of these difficulties meet us in life, then we'd be more than conquerors. But uh, you know how it is, we do. We have a hard time with a lot of things. So if if we're down every so often, well, you know, we could understand that. He doesn't say after these things so that The idea is in the future, when life is over, when we get past the nasty now and now, and we're in heaven, then we won't have any of this anymore, so then we won't have our setbacks and won't have our difficulties. But no, he says, right now, in this present earthly scene, he says we're conquerors, and not only that, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. So this is kind of an interesting thought, and I mentioned to you that last week our part one thought in this was in the earlier part of the chapter, because first of all, there's a foundation to this victory. And i mentioned three things first of all the new birth that we have in in verse number one and although you don't see the typical phraseology that we're used to from john we find paul's phrase in christ therefore there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in christ jesus that's not something that we come by naturally we come into this world in adam right and as in all adam all die only in Christ shall all be made alive. So somehow we have, to, we have to get in Christ. We have to be organically joined to him be, to become a part of his body. That happens when we're born again. And we, we talked about the fact that when you look in the chapter here, there's nothing we can do to accomplish that. There's no human effort. There's no works. There's nothing like that that's going to get us into the family of God. The only thing that's going to get the new birth is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're told for what the law could not do. The law can, if we keep the law, that is, if we have about us all sorts of good deeds, things that people think of when they think of a Christian, that may change our outward appearance. It does nothing necessarily to change the heart. The only way to be a new creation in Christ Jesus is through the new birth. And it is in Christ Jesus, and it's only the Holy Spirit who can accomplish that. So the Spirit of God is the key to all of this. I mentioned that you don't have very many references, only one clear, maybe two others, that depending on your interpretation of the verse, in Romans chapter 1 through 7, only that. You get to chapter eighteen or 8, and all of a sudden, you've got 18 or more references to the Holy Spirit. So it's obvious that when Paul ends chapter 7, he's talking in verse 24 about, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He says, yes, we have that victory, I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. But what's the key to all of that? And it's the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting itself, first of all, in the new birth. Then we come down to verse number 13, we find that once we have the Spirit of God indwelling us, he also brings us a new power, the power to overcome, the power to have victory. And you find that phrase in verse 13 towards the end, But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So how is it that we're going to do this thing of mortifying the deeds of the body? You can try that on your own, which you're going to have very limited success. I can tell you that right now. You're not stronger than the flesh. But the Spirit of God who indwells us, that power is sufficient for us to have the victory. So that's the second part of this foundation of victory. Finally, we have a new assurance, and we come to verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And there are different things that we can use to understand that we truly are born again. We we have had the testimony of a changed life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know what that verse? 2 Corinthians 5.17. So number one, there's a testimony of a changed life. Number two, there's the testimony of God's word. What does God's word have to say? Well, there's any number of verses that we can talk about, promises that are given to us. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. John says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know. So any number of verses in the Bible, if we can say, that's telling me that I have a bona fide salvation experience. I have the testimony of God's word. But I also have the testimony of God's Spirit. And that, that is very dynamic as the Spirit of God indwells us and makes the Word of God alive and vivid to us and brings the presence of God into our lives. And the Spirit of God does something that's somewhat intangible, I would say. It's 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 real. No one can no one can deny the reality of it, but it's something that's unseen. It's a witness in our hearts. And Jesus gave some testimony to the fact that that's the way the work of the Spirit is. It's mysterious and unseen, but you see the evidence of it, right? And this is what he told Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it wants to. And you hear the sound thereof, but you really can't tell from whence it came or whither it is going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. It's, it's mysterious. No one tells the Holy Spirit where to go. No one tells God what to do. God is sovereign in all things and God is sovereign in salvation is not excluded from that but we certainly see the evidence of the working of the Holy Spirit and when someone's born again you will see that evidence in the changed life so the spirit himself that's the third thing and I mentioned so we have a new assurance that really it's it's very difficult to be on an even keel in the Christian life because if you think you're saved one day but you're not sure the next it's really difficult to maintain any kind of consistent victorious walk with god so i simply say this again as a practical matter that's something that you really need to nail down if you have difficulties with that if you have problems with that uh, i just talked about three ways that you can know right the testimony of god's word do you have a verse that i'm claiming a salvation promise that i'm claiming from the bible There's the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Does the Spirit bear witness in my life? Do I have that? Do I have the evidence, the testimony of a changed life? And it's something you really can nail down and should nail down so as to, as I say, have a a consistent Christian life. Now, we're going to move on this week. Those were the foundation of victory, those three things. But we move on now to the fullness of victory getting more now into the practical reasons why it is that we're more than conquerors. Why does Paul make the statement that we're above and beyond? We're more than overcomers. Why does he make that statement? And then he he rattles off four things, at least four things, that each of us has to deal with, not every day, but as Christians, these things are part and parcel of Christian living. And what Paul is trying to say is, hey, It's not apart from those things. That is to say, if you don't happen to get them or encounter them. He's not saying after so that when we get through trudging through uh, the difficult pathways of this life, then we have this more than conquerors. He's not just talking about, no, he's talking about something right now. He's not talking about when we get to heaven. It'll certainly be true, but he's talking about something that is supposed to be a part of our, true of us now. So this is kind of convicting because we have to ask ourselves, well, is that, is, how am I doing? Am I living on the victory side? The first thing is suffering in verse number 18. He says, for I reckon. Now I always joke with people because, you know, I, I'm a southern boy, but I'm sort of like Amos and came north to preach. So I always say this is proof positive that Paul was a southerner. He said, I reckon. But anyway, if you don't like that, we'll move on. He says, for I reckon. This just means that Paul considers this. It's a mental thing that he considers to be true because the Bible says it's true. But sometimes you have to straighten your thinking out, don't you? Because sometimes our thinking gets off. And so what does he say? I reckon, I account it to be true because the Bible tells me it's true that the sufferings... Of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Wow. The glory that shall be revealed in us. It maybe is to get a little bit ahead of ourselves, but Paul gets to that a little bit later in the chapter, when after this momentous verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, he says in verse 30, Moreover, whom he did predestinate them he also called... And whom he called them, he also justified. And whom he justified them, he also glorified. Isn't that nice to know? However, if you think about it, this is the part that we exult in. This is the part that we're glad for. We're going to share Christ's glory. One day we're going to share Christ's glory. While we're here in this present world, we don't so much share Christ's glory because we don't yet have a body that's made like unto his glorious body. We still have the body of our humiliation, as Paul describes it in Philippians chapter three. One day we'll have that body like unto his glorious body. Here we have the body of our humiliation. And because we, we are possessed with fallen natures and because we are I often wonder why intelligent people believe in evolution. And I'm not trying to be smart when I say that. But show me something that's really evolving. Everything I look at is going downhill. Are you going downhill? I am. I just got old enough to figure it out. And most of the folks in the audience tonight can talk about that. You know, when you're a teenager, you're indomitable. You don't realize that. You just think you can go forever and nothing ever stops you. And... Uh, you know, I've gotten to the place now where I agree with that fellow that when I worked worked in Greenville for a couple of years at the textile company and he was joking one day and he said, you know, I only have two speeds, one slow and the other's off. And, you know, I think that that's kind of the way it is and we don't have that yet. We have this body yet. And Paul says, the other part, though, of being joined to Christ is that we're not just going to one day share in his glory, but... As we live in this world, it's given to us to also be a a sharer in his sufferings. Now we kind of have to know what kind of sufferings we're talking about. Because there is the suffering that Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, which was for our sins. You and I have no part in that. That was something that Jesus Christ did once for all. Now, if you want to go and really study sometime... And I have a book study on this, actually, that um, on 1 Peter, where the theme is sufficiency in suffering. But the little epistle of 1 Peter is all about suffering. And if you want to read about suffering, just read 1 Peter sometime. But here's a verse in 1 Peter that makes this abundantly clear. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18 says this. For Christ also hath once suffered for us the just for the unjust that he might bring us to god do we need it anymore i mean there are other verses we could go to but doesn't that kind of make it pretty clear christ also hath once suffered for us the just for the unjust aren't you glad that we're not crucifying the son of god afresh every time we come to the communion table that's not what we're doing at all there there are folks whose denomination teaches that that, that's, a, that's a core tenet of, of Romanism, as you know. But we're not doing that. We're just commemorating Jesus' death till he comes. We understand that the bread is a symbol, the juice is a symbol, that we don't have some kind of magic that happens and automatically that turns into the body of Christ and the blood, the blood of Christ. That's not what's happening. That was all done one time. Aren't you glad? I mean, I'm really glad that we don't have something that was half-baked. When Jesus Christ suffered for us on the cross of Calvary, that's one and done. So the sufferings we're talking about are not the sufferings that were punitive, not the sufferings that were God's judgment against our sins when Christ was bearing those on the cross. They are the sufferings that accrue to us as Christians. Isn't this what he says? It's given to us on behalf of Christ not only to be joint heirs with him and to share his glory, but also his suffering. And Peter talks about this very same thing in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Let me read from this verse. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to come upon you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partaker of Christ's sufferings. This is a different kind of suffering. This is the kind of suffering that came to Christ as a result of the fact that he said to his disciples, John chapter 15, when he was preparing them for his departure, he said, You know that if the world hates you, it hated me before it hated you. So he prepared the disciples. We spent some time talking about the different things he was preparing, the whole upper room discourse, John chapter 15, and we looked at that three messages on that, John 15, about the vine and the branches. As Jesus was attempting to prepare the disciples for what it would be like, what is God doing in our lives while He's gone? But he prepared them for other things. Verse 18, "If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you." Well, you can go out of your, you can go looking for it and have them hate you for reasons that you deserve. But that's not what Peter's talking about. He says this in the next verse. He says, "If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happier ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified." And then he says this, "But let none of you suffer, verse 15, as a murderer. If You're a murderer, you deserve it. So let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. If any man suffer as a Christian. Do you know Acts 11 and verse 26 tells us the disciples were first called Christians? At Antioch isn't it interesting that the early Christians did not refer to themselves as Christians think about that that might might be a novel thought to you but that's exactly what that verse is telling us Luke said the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch who was calling them that outsiders The second time that we have the term a Christian, it only occurs three times in the New Testament. The second time it occurs, it occurs in the mouth of Agrippa. He says to Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. It's in the the mouth of an outsider. The Christians did not originally call themselves Christians for the simple reason that it was first... When it was first coined, it was coined of a, as a term of derision. Oh yeah, a little Christ's Christianos, Christianos in Greek. It's it's you're taking that i a n o s ending and making Christ Christos, which is exactly what I say Christ, and making it into an adjective Christians. Now there goes one of those Christians. But by the time you got a little bit past the first century on into the second century, the Christians were glad to take that name. And you and I are glad to take that name today. This is what Peter is saying. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, don't be ashamed. The spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. This is a privilege, really, as the disciples talked about. They, they rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. Remember Peter and Paul? Or not Peter, but Paul and Silas in the prison, singing praises at midnight. Philippian jailer thought they were nuts. He thought they'd all run out the door and escape. Paul said, no, we're all here. Just singing praises. That's being more than conqueror. Who who can sing praise in the midst of a situation like that? Paul could. But see, it's a perspective. This all belongs to this present time. This is what Romans 8.18 says. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time... This is what I said. There's nothing theoretical about this. There's nothing impractical about this. It's for now. Paul's talking about the fact that many people have to encounter this. Beloved, I don't think much of us, well, there's, there, you know, there is sufferings of lots of different kinds. It's true. Suffering can occur on many different levels. But we don't know too much about this, really, in America. Not, not like we're going to get to talk about in a different sense in a minute, Persecution. But the Bible has a lot to say about this. There was a Bible teacher at one time whose name was Ronald Dunn. And he experienced a great deal of personal tragedy in his life. And at times it would just make him... I just couldn't understand. This is what he said. I'm often mystified. I don't understand why it is that as I endeavor to live for God and pray and believe, everything seems to be falling apart. Sometimes I struggle and say, Dear Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? And then it says, Dunn concludes, he wrote this, It is good for us to remember that God is not an arsonist. He is a refiner. This has something to do with why we're more than conquerors because the fire doesn't hurt us. If we accept it, and have the right perspective on us it doesn't make us bitter it makes us better the fire didn't hurt those three hebrew children did it i would say when they came walking out of that furnace they were more than conquerors wouldn't you i'd love to have been there on that deal that was something else i'll tell you what i still i i i feel so bad for people that can't find humor in the bible because you know nebuchadnezzar he just can't get out of his mode of being able to order people around and he, he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come forth and come hither. Well, suppose they said, will not you come in here? Yeah. <laughs> They'd have been ornery. They'd have said something like that, wouldn't they? But they were more than conquerors and they came forth. So suffering is the first thing. And Paul says, We're well, more than conquerors. It, it doesn't, it's a part of something that is a privilege, really, because. This is a part of being a Christian. And for God, as Paul said in, 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 in that story, Luke recorded in Acts, for us to be counted worthy, for God to find us worthy of accepting a certain amount of Christ's reproach. I'm not going to stand in line, but if God allows that to come, I, I will consider that a privilege by God's grace. Secondly, we have infirmity. We can't talk as much about this, but verse 26 mentions it. And I said a moment ago, we're all going downhill, so everybody can say amen on verse 26 when it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Have any infirmities? Because infirmities is just the word for weakness, or and that word weakness is, has a physical overtone. It means it's the word you typically use for being sick. If you're sick, you're weak. And uh doesn't take much for us to figure out that we're not uh, made of iron, does it? We all have uh, our kryptonite moments, I guess. So, infirmity he talks about. Now, it's interesting that he brings this up in the in the in the context of prayer. If you want to know want to really know your infirmity, try to pray. Is pray praying easy? <laughs> My mind can wander further away when I'm trying to pray than any other time, I think. I can get sleepier faster than any other time. I wish I could do like some people and just, you know, I read about these seals and others, you know, and they just, they're trained to be able to you grab sleep when you can, close your eyes, and within 30 seconds they're asleep. I'd pay money for that gift. I can't do that. It takes, it takes me a while to shut down. And, uh, but we have our infirmities, and Paul was very well acquainted with that. So, see, no one else can make the statement that the Spirit helps us in our infirmities but a Christian. No one else can make that statement because no one else has the Holy Spirit in his life. Well, Paul, let's look over in a verse, a chapter that we had a verse out of in the Bible drill. Very familiar. And Paul going to give us a little something about his own reflections about this. And Paul is the same one he wrote that we're more than conquerors. Now he's talking about this in his own life. So in verse 7 of chapter 12, he said, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. There you go. There's the flesh. It's weak. The messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in what's the next word? Weakness. And we have it, don't we? We have weakness. And Paul says, I was given this born in the flesh, this messenger of Satan to puff at me. Some people think they know what that is. They're smarter than I am. He doesn't tell us. Some people think that Paul had eye trouble. He very well might have, but I'm not necessarily sure he was referring to that here. I think it's part of the genius of the Bible that Paul doesn't tell us what it is, because if Paul told us what it was, you'd say, well, he doesn't know what I have. If he just had what I have, That's how we are, you know. So it's just sort of left open. Paul had something that bugged him enough, just like you've got something bugged you. It bugged him enough, he prayed about it three times. The Lord said, no, I could take that away. You know I could take that away. But I'm not going to because it will make you better because it will be a way for you to experience my power in ways that you would never have known it any else, any other way. And Paul said for that, I see myself as more than conqueror because I'm experiencing the power of God on a level that I would never have known it had it not been for how God came to me in this weakness and saw me through. And we can all give testimony to that. So there is infirmity. Then there are what I call setbacks. You won't find that word, but it's I think it's clear enough that's what's being discussed in twenty eight. When he says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Now, I want you to put your thinking cap on for a moment and tell me if you can find something in verse 28, 29 rather, and verse 30 that hasn't happened yet, but yet he describes it in the past tense. He describes it in the past tense, but it's still future. All right, let's have a little on this so he says for whom he did foreknow has that already happened is that in the past huh it sure is that's an eternity past so that's done then it says he also did predestinate us to be conformed to the image of his son is that already done the work that God did predestinating us to that end is that done That's done. It'll happen one day when we're received up into glory, but in the mind, in the the work of God, in the plan of God, it's done. God made that decision already. That's done. All right, let's go to the next one. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Is that done? It sure is. If you're here tonight and you're saved, you've been called. That's how Paul uses the term. It's always used in the sense that theologians refer to as effectual calling. Not in the Gospels where you you have the term used more broadly like for the universal call. Many are called, but few are chosen. In that sense, the call of the Gospel goes to everyone. But in an effectual sense of those who are saved, it only goes to, to those who are. And that's what he's talking about here. And yes, that's happened. If we're here tonight, in Paul's language of theology, you and I are the called. By the way, I said a moment ago, the early Christians did not call themselves Christians. Do you know what they did call themselves? Well, they called their yes, they called them the way. They could be the followers of the way. What did they call themselves when Paul wrote to people? How did he address them? To the who in Ephesus? To the who in Corinth? To the saints. Right? Look at, check it out. To the saints. But again, we have kind of a technical sense of that today. And it, it's in, in, this, in the Bible, everyone who's a Christian is that. So that's in the past, right? That's all done. Well, let's see what else we can find in this verse. So we're, we're already, already been called. We're here tonight and we're saved. We've already been called. Um, what else we have? Justified. That happened? Sure has. He's declared us righteous. Isn't this what it says in verse thirty-four? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Ye rather that is risen again. Up a little further, it talks about who is he that condemneth? Uh, it is Christ that justifieth. Where am I at for that verse? Um, yeah. Uh, yes. No. It is God that justifieth? Verse thirty-three. Who who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elected? Is God that justifieth? If you go back to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So have we been justified? Yep. What about this next one? Whom he justified, then he also glorified. Has that happened yet? No. Yeah, in God's mind, and that's the whole point. So why are all these things in the past tense? They're all in the past tense because in God's mind it's done. In God's mind, there is no human force. There is absolutely nothing that can intervene. There is nothing that can interrupt. There is nothing that can derail what God has chosen to do for us in Christ. Nothing in this life. So that's why when you look at this chapter, you begin Romans 8 verse 1, there's no condemnation. There's nothing... From our past, that can change Christ's forgiveness. Just think about that phrase. He says, There's no condemnation. There's nothing from our past that can change Christ's forgiveness. In verses 28 through 30, I'll just use this word for lack of a better one there's no interference. There's nothing that can, in this life, that can keep us from Christ's salvation. Nothing. And in verses 38 and 39, there's no separation. There is nothing in time or eternity that can separate us from Christ's love. I mean, it's an imperfect illustration, but if you think about it for a moment, if you have a clear shot on a deer at 100 yards, there's no tree, there's no brush, nothing, no wind, You have your rifle zeroed properly, pull the trigger. There's no human force going to stop that bullet. It's going to hit that deer. It's going to go right where you aimed it. That's why once you pull the trigger, you own it, which is a sobering thought. Once you pull the trigger on salvation, there's nothing intervening. That's what God does. That's what all these questions is, are about. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? How would Satan or anyone else for that matter, lay anything to the charge of God's elect if he's justified me? See what i'm what I'm saying so there's no setbacks. He's so great, so kind, so loving. why we're more than conquerors? He's so great, so li- so loving, and so wise that he can harness the things that are seemingly reverses, setbacks, problems, and instead uses them ultimately for our good. As the verse says in Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you to give you hope and an expected end, to give you hope and a future. Because God is doing these things for our good, and no matter how malevolent the human or spiritual factors around us may be, God's bigger. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And finally, there's persecution. You kind of get the impression, like with most preachers, that by the time Paul gets to the end of the chapter, he's out of time and knows it. (laughs) Happens to me every time I preach. He's out of time and knows it, so he has to summarize and say it more quickly than maybe if he'd had more time. This is to express it humanly. He gets to verse 35 and he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And it's like he's got a whole big, long list of things. What about tribulation? Nope. What about distress? Nope. What about persecution? Nope. Famine? Nope. Nakedness? Nope. Peril? Nope. Sword? No. All those things Paul knew something about firsthand. He summarizes in several places in the New Testament the different things he went through. Shipwreck, stoning. I'm telling you what, Paul knew it. This wasn't just theoretical stuff he's talking about here. And then he quotes that verse from the Psalms, nay, and all these things. So I like persecution, I think, is the one that best captures all the thoughts that are there. And Paul certainly experienced that. He was well acquainted with that, too. In fact, to read one other cross-reference to this, Paul was so honest, it's not quite like some of these things we hear today that promise you everything and don't really tell you the truth. But when he wrote to Timothy... In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and he knows the end is near, and he says this to Timothy, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, Iconium Lystra, where he was stoned. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. As with suffering, it's impossible to avoid this if we live for the Lord. It may not come to us in the way that it comes to some believers or in some lands, but it will be there in some sense. But again, the Christian always has the assurance that no one else does, that nothing separate us from the love of God it can throw at you the worst and it can't separate you from God's love you know it'd be interesting to just ask you to. we don't have time really to do much of this but if you looked at the list in verse 38 and 39 is there anything there that you could find to maybe be afraid of Paul says I'm persuaded neither death I'd stop right there because people who are unsaved, that's the first thing they, they would name. They're afraid of death because they don't know what's beyond. They, a lot of them put on a big bravado like they're not afraid and they know, but they don't. Unless they've been given some Christian background, then maybe they know. But I'd be afraid of death if I didn't know Christ. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I'm wishing it happens on the way home because I'm not. I'm not standing in line but I'm not afraid of it either. And that's really the whole basis of that first hunting track that I wrote. You know, I walked into the woods that morning and I didn't have any sense of anything amiss. I didn't have any sense of doing anything wrong and I certainly didn't have any fears. I didn't know I was going to fall out of that tree but I could take you right back to that same place and show you where I fell and how on this side and on that side there were rocks and how if I had gone a little bit this way or a little bit that way or even hit my head on one of those, I could have been a quadriplegic. I could have been just been dead. Well, that wasn't God's plan, but if it had been, you'd be down here and I'd be up there. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not standing in line. I'm not putting on any bravado. I'm sure there's a lot of painful ways you can have to go. But it can't hurt me that much, I know. It can, the process might hurt. But that's the first thing I'd list to be afraid of if I didn't know Christ. What about life? What about spiritual forces? Angels, principalities, and powers are all spiritual forces. Nor things present nor things to come. You, you got anything in your present right now you're dealing with it's fearful. You got anything in the future? Most, a lot of people dread the future. Good night. If I didn't know the Lord and have the Bible, I think I would dread the future. I'd look around and I'm thinking, I don't even see past the next election. If it goes the wrong way, look out. This country's got more crazies loose than inmates are running the prison. Nor height? You scared of heights? Some folks are. My wife is. Nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, just think about this summary again and we'll quit. No condemnation, nothing can, se- can change, nothing from our past can change Christ's forgiveness. No interference for lack of a better word, nothing in this life can keep us from Christ's salvation. For whom he did foredo, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Moreover, whom he did predestinate them, he also called, and whom he called them, he also justified, and whom he justified them, he also glorified. It's done in God's mind. Nothing will change it. And just remember, it's not apart from these things or after these things It's in all these things. I want you to think of one last thing. Every year, the Kentucky Derby is run. I don't know if you're interested much in it. I, I don't really follow it, but they say it's the most exciting two minutes in sports. A mile and a quarter. And 20 horses, when they hit that buzzer or crack that thing off, whatever they do, 20 horses come out of those gates. Can you imagine? Of course, in the beginning, they're all bunched, right? And sometimes they stay that way for a little bit, but then it begins to kind of separate out. Well, here's the point, folks. You know, every single one of those 20 horses is already a conqueror. You, You couldn't be there if you weren't because there's what's called the Kentucky Road, and you can't just get to the Kentucky Derby. You have to qualify for it. Whether you go what they call the North American road or the Japanese road or the European road, just different races. You have to run in those races. And you qualify by your placement in those races. So every one of those horses, every one of those 20s, already a winner, already a conqueror. And all of a sudden they're all bunched. And then you keep watching and you keep watching and you keep watching. And all of a sudden you notice there's a horse that's been lagging back. And all of a sudden it just starts to gain. It starts to gain. Starts to gain. Gains until it's right up at the front with the front running horse. It starts to pull ahead. Doesn't pull ahead by just this much. It pulls ahead, first of all, by a length. A little bit more time goes by, it's pulled ahead two lengths. A little bit more time goes by, it's pulled ahead three lengths. And it crosses the finish line four lengths in front of the nearest. Force behind it they're already all conquerors but that one's more than a conqueror and that's what he's telling us is the way we can live by God's grace look to be challenged heavenly father we thank you for your kindness and for your love and for the victory that you do provide for us Help us to realize that the things that we've gone over tonight are meant to encourage us as we slug it out down here to know that none of these things can intervene, none of these things can harm. If we go with you, trust you, appropriate your grace, they will only make us better, more like Christ. Lead us to levels of experience in Christianity that we could have never known any other way, and in the end, crowned with the glory that belongs to you. No one could come up with something so great as what your salvation is. So we thank you for it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our songbooks. We're going to turn to uh, the page before Victory in Jesus. So 586, I think we want. And we'll sing the little chorus We are more than conquerors. Let's stand together. <laughs>